We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots podcast. This episode 141 of the pod. We trudge on and we got a guest. We Matt do. Mooney, you're not the guest, but it's always a pleasure to be your guest here on the Moose and Roots podcast. But coming up, we got Mark Shinowski lending his insights to the season, the NBA season, talking a little college, even sprinkles in a little bit of MLB insights as well. Everything Mark, from Mark. Mark, as always, I mean, you could set your damn watch to the man. Week he after is football. so consistent. He's on the he is so Rings entertaining. He, uh, he's fantastic. Yeah, this is about the time of the season that we have him on. We talk bulls, and uh, I guess we wipe the tears from our eyes. That's just what it's become to be. Hopefully, at some point, one of these times, we could um, at least have a little bit of excitement. For Moose and Rune's podcast, episode, episode 729. 721. We'll have excitement uh, heading out of the All-Star break into the second half or final third of the NBA season. But Matt, as we always do on this podcast, I must first ask you, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, it was it was a rough adjustment week without, I mean, I know we had the XFL. It was a rough adjustment week without football. It was kind of like, where do I go from here? Other than that, good. Good week. How about yourself? Do you, do you enjoy yourself a little XFL? Uh, I did not hate it. it I think uh-huh. it was a better, it had me more intrigued than the AAF ever did. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm just, it's, it's going to last longer simply because the money they have, uh, but I, I, I like some of the rule changes. I think the kickoff rule was really nice. Um, yeah, yeah it, it has me a little bit more intrigued than I was last year whenever the AF debuted. For me, I'm going to watch the XFL like I watch soccer. I'm not going to watch it, but I'm going to be very intrigued by the highlights. I will, I will try and stay in tune with like whatever's hitting social media, whatever's really moving the needle. Obviously, because we're always looking for a high-wire act by a wide receiver, a big hit by a defensive player. That's you know that's what keeps us going during the offseason here. And now that we do have an outlet for that, I am excited. Um, so good on the good on the XFL for, for getting in the getting in the rotation here. Hopefully, it's consistent. Hopefully, they can put out a product each weekend that uh, that provides those highlights. And I think they can. But um, yeah, it, it was a. Uh, I guess it was a, I don't know what the TV numbers looked like, but it was a successful launch, I'd say, for the XFL. Yeah, no, no there is one thing, Joe, you asked me how I'm doing. I am a little bit disappointed right now, though. Okay, tell you've us. now had two chances, one in the, the interview that we just did with Mark, which is, again, fantastic, and then to kick off this podcast. St- you, you, you waited for Mark to say happy birthday. He had to it's say pa- it first past- before you. It's my belated, and you know it's past your birthday. Yeah, but you, say- it's still a nice wish. Like, hey, how was it? How you, know, you could ask? It's nice. You I act like you. I, you act like I didn't reach out yesterday and wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> you act like you didn't reach out because you saw a tweet from my father. Okay, it doesn't matter what sparked <laughs> the happy birthday. As as I will say during our interview with Mark Shinowski, now that we've completely broken the sequitur here, and that nothing's going to make sense. It'll all make sense. You're, it all a, ties together. you're a reoccurring event in my eye calendar. So I would have seen it there or I would have seen it yeah. or I would have seen it uh, from TJR's tweet. I just hope, happen to see TJR's tweet first because he comes up high on my algorithm. Shout out to TJR. Yeah. So I saw it with the zoomed in picture of your face. It was mm. fantastic. Great picture Made me smile. Uh, but it begs the question. Do you know my birthday? Like offhand? I'm so not you're, even not gonna, a lot, you're not I'm allowed not to give a hard time if you don't. I'm not even going to entertain that. Of course I know exactly. your birthday. I know it's in what October. It, that's false. That's September. not the right month. There you go. Yeah. You I knew it was season. in the fall. You had the season. You had the season. It's football oh, season. I knew that. Yeah, all right. It's September 14th. Better I don't question, expect though. you I don't expect you to have it written down. I just don't. Okay. Not, not the most flattering picture of me my father posted, but I, I think I wanted to ask you, how do you think my hair looked in that one? I think it looked pretty good. Um, I'd have to go back and look at it, but Matt, you always you always boast a, a good a good lettuce. You always have a nice flow you know, going. You know why I have a good a, a nice lettuce? Because you, nice you, you go to the best. Because I go to the I go to the best hairdresser, barber, whatever you want to call your mother in the business. She, she is hairstylist. She's, hair she, yeah. she, she's yeah, yeah, the yeah. best. Oh, she she wanted me to ask you how how's it going out there with your haircut situation? You hey. find somebody yet? No free ads, all right? So don't okay. be pushing Debbie Musso's bit. No, I'm kidding. I will happily um, free give, give Debbie Musso free the, uh, get your hair we, cut fire. She's fantastic. We found, we found a consistent cutout here, so we're back in the good Proud graces. That's, no that's, problem. That, I, I was a little bit And concerned. I talked to my mother. So your mother was very well. concerned as well. She knows that as well. Yeah, we talk um, about you frequently. 
Uh, we got some we got some action to get to here, Matt, as we approach the All Star Weekend. Um, so why don't we why don't we just tee up this Mark Janowski interview? You can talk about it better than we can. Yeah, he says uh, he says uh, more insightful things in a twenty five minute interview than we have in one hundred and forty episodes. So here it is, Mark Janowski yeah. on the Moose and Runes podcast. Joined now by Mark Shinowski, I believe it's safe to say our most frequent recurring guest here on the Moose and Runes podcast. We love to have him on around this time of the season, although it does feel like sometimes we are asking the same questions about the Chicago Bulls. Mark, it is always a pleasure to have you on the pod. Yeah, nice to be with you guys. I wish we had more excitement in the basketball season in Chicago, but at least it's All-Star weekend and that'll get people fired up for a few days. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's not even close at this point. I think this is probably your fifth or sixth time, and maybe below that, it's it's like cap at two. Head and shoulders, head yeah, and so shoulders away from the field, creating space. We gotta we gotta <laughs> send you like a gift card or something for hopping on with us as often as we do. Um, I'm gonna leave things off here. Unfortunately, we should start with the Bulls. Then, um, like Joe said, we're 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 asking the same types of questions, but I want to ask one we haven't really talked to you about because Laurie Markkinen is having a terrible season I think it's safe to say after what we expected from him this year what exactly in your eyes is going on with him I know he has the health issues now but they kind of said that hasn't been a season-long issue thing what's wrong with Laurie that's the most puzzling question in Bulls headquarters no one knows exactly what the reasons are for his draft and his physical numbers this year it just seems like uh, he kind of drifts at times in games he's not as aggressive as he was his first two seasons He's had a couple of nagging injuries that, that, that went reported, but he, he said his goal was to play all 82 games, so he was playing through a lot of minor things early in the year. And then they found uh, when they did an MRI that he had a, a start of a, a stress reaction in his pelvis, which sounds awfully painful. So they did precautionary measures to hold him out for a month. And, you know, with the way the season is going, I wouldn't be surprised if in, in a few weeks we don't hear, oh, we're going to shut him down. There's no, season, no reason to bring him back. We'll get him healthy for next year. But, you know, I just I just really don't I, – I just feel like he hasn't been as aggressive when he was playing. And, you know, he talked about the fact that his role in this new system that Jim Boylan instituted on the offensive end is to be more of a spot-up shooter. And when you've got a seven-foot athlete who can put the ball on the ground, put the ball on the court, and, you know, get to the basket, you hate to just, you know, pigeonhole him into being a three-point shooter. He is a very good three-point shooter, but he can do much more than that. Yeah, we saw the versatility in his game um, – Last year, I think that's where all the excitement was born out of that we finally are seeing a second piece next to Levine where things are starting to make sense, at least in terms of a starting five, a future of the franchise. But, I mean, 50, 60 games later, and we're looking at a franchise that, again, seems to be in this basketball purgatory with one eye on an eight seed and another one on ping pong balls. You sat down with Jim Boylan last week. Can you give us an idea of where the vision is at right now inside the building, at least from his standpoint? Because it doesn't always seem like his standpoint is congruent with that of the players. Well, Jim is always going to paint this picture that everything is fine. You know, uh, it's his first chance at an NBA head coaching job after being really a career assistant. He did coach at uh, Utah for a few years. So otherwise, he's been an assistant at the college and pro levels. And, you know, like most people who finally – uh, you know, get their career realization in their 50s, he wants to make sure he does it the way he thinks it's, it should be done. Yeah. And that's led to a lot of criticism on the local level. But, you know, the guy works like crazy. He's trying to make this happen. And it's, it's not for lack of effort or for not knowing basketball. It just hasn't worked out. And now with the flood of injuries in midseason, they have next to no chance to get back into that playoff race. And from an organizational standpoint, they should be thinking about the draft and what they're going to do to improve the team for next year. From all accounts, uh, they're not blaming Jim Boylan for this, and you know he's going to keep working and try to develop young guys. Uh, Chandler Hutchinson has played better of late. They're hoping to get Wendell Carter back after the All-Star break. Uh, Lowry, maybe, and uh, Otto Porter Jr. is <laughs> that's been a mystery. I mean, it went from a yeah. soft tissue injury. Is he going to play all year? Is he going to shut down, or what's going on here? They, they keep saying that that he's going to return, but then you know, I read recently that uh, you know there's been a bit of a setback, and so I don't know. I mean, it's it, a lot of people are wondering what's going on with their medical situation. That that beca- that's become a talking point too. That. You know, every year you get the, you get this rash of injuries, and it seems like it's not the fact they just get hurt. It's just how long they're out. You know, yeah. 
year, an initial projection of two to four weeks, and then it's always six and sometimes eight, and you're just like, what's going on? You know, why 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 do other players come back? You know, we've seen Luka Doncic have two severe ankle sprains. Well, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say severe, moderate ankle sprains, and he's back in a couple of weeks. Now, granted, he's 20 years old, maybe he heals a little bit faster, but you know, other guys are able to come back, and uh, you know, with the Bulls, it seems like these injuries really seem to linger on. Um, do you sense any sort of validity in the fact that there is a disconnect from coach to player? Because I know we heard more about that in the early stages of the season. Those stories have kind of quelled as of late, and the spotlight has been focused solely on Jim Boylan. But is this a group of guys that enjoys being around each other? Because that's, I mean, that's the first step in this battle, is being able to walk into the building every day and enjoy the work you're doing. I don't get the sense that the players enjoy it right now. Well, I don't think any team is really going to have super chemistry when you're losing, and uh, especially yeah. when it's been three years of losing. You know, we read the, the things early in the year where Jim put a, a time clock for the players to punch when they when they came in the facility, which was kind of lampooned around the league. Is you know, come on, what are you doing? These these are professional athletes, um, and and he is a he is a, a college style rah rah guy. You know, he's very much into the coaching cliches and all the uh, the the coaching the coachisms that you hear out there. You know, he wants spirit and, and effort and, uh, you know, heart and soul and all this stuff. And, you know, the NBA is a player's league, and it comes down to who has the best players generally. There are a handful of coaches I think make a, make a big impact on the game. But I think for the other, yeah. you know, 25 in the league, they're just guys who are executing a system. And if they have the players, they're going to do pretty well. If they don't, they're going to struggle. Uh, I want to flip this to a, probably the lone positive note on the Bulls right now, Zach Levine, who some say was an all-star snub, whether or not, he deserved to be there. Maybe, maybe, or not. maybe, or maybe not. That's true. But he's having an obviously a, a fantastic season. I saw some quotes from him saying he wants to be here and he wants to help lead the Bulls kind of back to being one of the NBA's elite franchises. Do you think Zach Levine can be the guy in a, a rebuild to bring a team back? Or how much help does he need? Where does he kind of rank as a, a one, two, or three option on a championship team? Well, as what we saw this past summer, instead of teams trying to form these uh, super trios. We saw a bunch of uh, one-two punches around the league, and, mm-hmm. and I think if you got him one more player that was at, at his level or maybe even a little better, I think he'd be a really good number two because he's a guy who can score and get a shot off against anybody. He's improved his three-point shooting this year. We all know that you know, he can sky, he can finish at the rim. I, I, I don't understand a lot of the Zach Levine criticism. People always go back to defensive metrics. Maybe it's my age, but I'm not a big analytics guy, um, especially in, in basketball. I mean, I think some of the numbers are, are useful that they project, but you know, when you talk about best three-man lineups and, and, and some of these other things, you know, I just don't understand what that, how that matters. But, you know, back to Zach, I, I think that, that you know, he's played every game this year. He's averaging 25 points a game. You know, he's carried that offense throughout the season. I don't know what more you could ask a guy to do. Now, if you're saying maybe he could be better in late-game situations, maybe he could pass at times to try to force a contested shot, yeah, those are valid criticisms, but when you look at the team around him, especially with Markkinen out and Porter, who was their third-best offensive player, there aren't a lot of options. Uh, it's got to be Zach, and, and I think that the focus in this offseason coming up is going to be to try to get another legitimate uh, veteran player who has a who has an accomplished resume, who maybe is not happy with his situation with his current team. Trade your first-round draft pick and maybe one of the young guys or one of the young core players, whether that's Lowry, Wendell Carter, Colby White, whoever you have to trade in that deal, get another bona fide veteran star in here. Now, I hope that is the case because I was thinking about it the other day, and it's kind of got a Chris Sale feel to it where Levine almost deserves better mm-hmm. but Yoan Mankata and Michael Kofak aren't walking through that door. I, I don't know who those guys are, I guess, if we're drawing a parallel here. But um, it, it's been, at least as Matt said, the um, the silver lining to all of this has been watching – Zach Levine dominate the way he has despite the futility on the whole, but I mean, I feel like we're playing good cop, bad cop here. I'm going to take us back to the negative, Matt, but uh, sure, it's it's getting it's getting to a point where I wouldn't say James Dolan-esque, but a fan was escorted out of the stadium last night with a fire gar packs shirt on, so some censorship going on from the top, it feels like. My cousin, Luke, he's a Bulls fanatic. He leads a horde of angry social media pack of Bulls fans. And he had a tweet the other day that actually 
gained some uh, notoriety, some traction nationally. And it, it has some good statistics in there. Of the 30 front offices in the NBA, only three have been around since 2003. Pat Riley in Miami, seven Eastern Conference Finals, three titles, and then R.C. Buford and Pop in San Antonio, 11 Western Conference Finals, five NBA titles. The third, Garn Pax, one Eastern Conference Finals win. Um, that, that's essentially where the ceiling has been for this team, and that's what's earned them, I don't know, some sort of leeway. As we approach the All-Star break here, and the Bulls have now lost, I believe it's five straight, Six. Six. Six, six straight. Tough one you. in Washington the other night. Six straight and a league wor- or a year-worst record for them right now from win percentage standpoint. Are we approaching a point where ownership, and I know ownership is reluctant, as that tweet very clearly plots out, but are we approaching an impasse here where something needs to be done well above Jim Boylan's head? You know, at this point, it's hard to uh, predict that ownership is ever going to change. Uh, yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf has been very, extremely loyal to his executives, both with the Bulls and the White Sox over the years. He's always been reluctant to make changes at, the, at that spot. Now, Michael has taken Michael Reinsdorf has taken over day-to-day operations of the Bulls, and, and I don't know if, if he would be more of a uh, mind to make major changes. I haven't seen that inclination to this point, but, you know, we're seeing more empty seats at the United Center. They're not selling out games anymore. Um, you know, I don't know what their merchandising sales are, are, are like right now, but you know, there are there are indicators. TV ratings are down. Those are things that, from an organizational standpoint, yeah. you have to be concerned about. So, if they if they really want to win back their fan base and try to get some of the people back who have said, "I'm not going to watch anymore," yeah, changes have to be more substantial than just just bringing in another coach and go, "Well, that'll fix everything," because it won't. I mean, they, the the way they've acquired their players and the way they've evaluated college talent, pro talent, it just hasn't worked. And if you want to bury your head in the sand and saying, well, it'll get better, that's your prerogative. You own the team. But I, I just don't see after you know, yeah. 16, 17 years that you're going to expect that all of a sudden, miraculously, they're going to have this long run of success because you know we haven't seen it before. Uh, I'm going to go back to the positive here by getting off the Bulls. I think that's probably the, the best way to do that <laughs> because Levine might be the only positive they have going for him right now. Um, Earlier this week, Casey Johnson on NBCSportsChicago.com had an awesome article about the uh, the oral history of the 88 dunk contest between Jordan and Dominique. And Joe and I obviously weren't uh, weren't really around back then. Mark, I'm sure that's a vivid memory for you. So I want to ask your basically take on that, your memories of that. How, how cool of a dunk contest was that? Was that because obviously this year's All Star Game in Chicago, uh, outside of a three point competition contest, and we don't really have much to look forward to from a local standpoint. Well, the funny thing about that dunk contest, Michael won in Seattle, I believe it was the year before, in 1987. And I remember watching that, that 1987 dunk contest with my friends and just thought, man, this, this the guy is the most unbelievable athlete I've ever seen in terms of his explosiveness, his ability to, you know, get off the ground and, and almost, you know, use his body as a projectile. You know, he'd lean sideways and dunk over his head, and you're like, this is just un- incredible. So, you know, I was looking forward to the 88 dunk contest, and I thought that, while Jordan did a great job and he had the Chicago Stadium crowd behind him, I didn't think he performed as well as he did in the 87 contest. And I thought Dominique won the 88 contest. I mean, his his dunks were so incredibly powerful. And, you know, it was just a, a question of the judges, I think, were probably a little bit swayed by the Chicago the Stadium crowd. crowd. And, you know, it, it was close. Uh, you could have definitely gone either way. He did the free throw line dunk, but he went across the free throw line. Now that picture that that, that I have hanging in my man cave, and so many other people have, is you know, a poster that they they treasure, um, is spectacular. And you know, it was it was a, it was a hell of a dunk. But in terms of the judging, I think it was skewed because of uh, the Chicago Stadium crowd, and that's that's why Michael won. He did, he did a fantastic job, but I think Dominique was a little better that day. Mark, I, you mentioned the man cave. I kind of want to ask you about that. What else you got hanging in there? You got, you got like a beer fridge. You got a nice big TV, some bulls. Oh, what else yeah. have we got? Well, yeah, I've got all kinds of stuff. I, uh, you know, I got a Blackhawks jersey that the organization was kind enough to give to me a number of years ago with uh, autographed by Dennis Savard. You know, so which is which is really nice. Um, Cubs stuff from their World Series. I've got a I've got got a White Sox. I got everything. You know, I've been doing this a long time, so I've collected <laughs> a lot of stuff. As a matter of fact, I don't even have room to hang the stuff I have. So some of it's just sitting in the closet. 
a uh, great place to take in uh, the All-Star Weekend festivities, I'm sure. Uh, as we look at All-Star Weekend and beyond, Mark, um, despite the struggles on the home front, it has been a fantastic first half of the season, first half plus of the season in the NBA as a whole. I think we're getting even more parity than we signed up for, especially in the Eastern Conference with some teams emerging in that four to six range that, you know, you can't really sleep on. Um, When we look at the sample size that we have and projecting it towards uh, the second half here, I think it's safe to say we're kind of looking at a a staple center's Western Conference finals right now, pending some sort of injury or upset. Um, But on the Eastern Conference side of things, who's really jumping off the page at you? I I know the Heat have played some great basketball. The Celtics look like they can beat anyone on any given night. Who do you like out of the East as we look towards uh, playoff time? Well, you didn't even mention Milwaukee. Uh, The Bucs have the best record in the East right now. They were on a 70-win pace until they lost last night at Indiana. I don't think they're going to chase 70 wins. It'd be kind of silly because you end up burning out your team and then have, mm-hmm. you have nothing left. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see who comes out of the East. Uh, Toronto had a 15-game winning streak snapped last night, and I think Nick Nurse has done an amazing job over there. When you consider they lost Kawhi Leonard, Finals MVP, signs with the Clippers as a free agent, everyone expected by the trade deadline that this team would be blown up. You had Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka on expiring contracts. Uh, last summer, Kyle Lowry was an expiring deal until he signed an extension before the season. So they had three star players, or three starters at least, that they were considering trading and maybe starting over because they didn't feel like a lot of people thought they couldn't compete after losing their best player. And instead, they got off to a good start. They had a rash of injuries and uh, kind of took a little bit of a step back. And then you know they reeled off 15 straight. So don't discount Toronto. I, I like... Uh, I like what Miami has done this year. They picked up Andre Iguodala, which will be interesting to see what he has left in the tank after sitting out half a season at age 36. Uh, Philadelphia is the mystery team. They look great yeah. on paper. They've got great size with a 6'10 point guard in Ben Simmons. You've got Joel Embiid, Al Horford, and Tobias Harris up front. You know That should be a team that should be right with Milwaukee at the top of the Eastern Conference, but they just have not played up to what their potential is going to yeah, be. Yeah, it's a one-week-on, one-week-off one with them. Yeah. So it's, I, I think you've got five teams that, that uh, are going to be legitimate threats. I think a lot of late in the year, you're going to see teams maybe trying to jockey for position on who they want to play in the first round. I mean, obviously, Milwaukee looks like they'll be a, a runaway number one seed, mm-hmm. so they'll get they'll probably get Orlando, which would be a walkover. Uh, and then everybody's going to want to be the two seed, so you fl- you face Brooklyn, which uh, you know is still waiting for Kevin Durant to arrive next season. Um, and then when you get to the second round, you're going to have some great matchups. You know, you could have a three-six Boston-Philly, which would be amazing. You know, and uh, yeah, Miami could play Toronto in the first round. You know, so it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. I think any of those top five teams could emerge, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see which one is going to be able to make the best plays late. Because I still think for, for the Bucks, the thing that, that scares me for them, Eric Bledsoe, their point guard, is very inconsistent, and he has a tendency to uh, not play well in big games. And, and Giannis, Giannis still has that, that, that voice in his head when he's at the free throw line. He can't shoot free throws. So, you know, when you, you're talking about games that are always going to be separated by a couple of points, if you have a point guard that sometimes breaks down and you've got your best player is, is shaky at the free throw line, that's not necessarily a formula for playoff success. Uh, you brought up Miami, and obviously they have uh, the, the local storyline here still with Jimmy Butler, who's always going to be a lightning rod in this city. But are they good enough to challenge in the East? Can you win with Jimmy Butler being as your alpha? Because obviously the Bulls didn't think so and ended up moving him here. Is Miami good enough to compete with the Milwaukee's, the Toronto's, or, or is that a team that's probably going to fall down by the wayside? My guess would be that they would be the team that probably is, is going to go out early uh, because okay. because of the fact they're starting three guys that, that have very little experience. You know, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson are uh, technically rookies, and then you've got Bam Adebayo, who made the all-star team and has really played well, but he's a third-year guy that I'm not sure, you know, he hasn't had any playoff experience to speak of. So you're taking guys into, you know, big games that, that really haven't done it before. Jimmy will rally the troops. Uh, he'll he'll do what he can. As I mentioned, they picked up Iguodala and, and Jay Crowder at the trade deadline, so they've added some veteran experience that, that should help. They also have Goran Dragic, who's uh, you know a seasoned pro. I, I think that uh, they're they're going to be a threat, but I, I don't I can't see them coming out of the East just because of the fact that they have so many young guys in their rotation. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like when it's all said and done out of the East. As we said, things may be a, a little bit more cut and dry in the West. I, I just think it's two teams uh, that are head and shoulders uh, above everyone else right mm-hmm. now. Um, the Clippers have shown a little bit of pinks in the armor as of late, but I don't think in the long run that's going to affect them. We're seeing a lot of teams, Mark, that are um, the the home away splits, I think, are more glaring this season than before. Um, Whether it's Philly with the NBA best home record, can't find one on the road, sub 500. Miami, very similar in that vein. Is there anything to that? Is there any proof in that pudding, or is that just an anomaly this season? Um, Because the numbers do seem a little skewed towards this season home teams having such a crazy advantage? Well, I think it's always been skewed in favor of the home teams in the NBA. Not to yeah. the degree we're seeing with the 76ers, where I think they've only lost two games at home yeah. at this point. Uh, but, it, you know, the, the good teams are always going to dominate at home. It's just that with Philadelphia, with the talent that we mentioned, it just doesn't make any sense that their road record is as poor as it is. So I think they're the most glaring example of a team that seems to be more comfortable on their home floor and can't take that formula with them on the road. But you talk about uh, home road uh, balance, imbalance. Uh, the Big Ten is where I've really seen it. It seems oh like you, yeah. teams, can't, teams can't go on the road and win to save their lives. It's like they look like world beaters at home and then it's terrible on the road. Unranked home sides laying five and a half against like teams ranked in the teams. Vegas is on top of it. It's just a, it's just a yeah. home, home, home in the Big Ten. I think that kind of brings us to where we want to go here because as Bulls fans, that's what we got to look at as prospects. What are we looking uh, forward guys, to here? Guys coming out of college, shoot, because um, it's been a wild season in college. If there's been parity in the NBA, it's been tenfold in college hoops this season with uh, a record number of different number ones. It looks like Baylor has really cemented themselves in that position. I think they've been there for four weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are players outside of them. You know, Kansas looks tough. Gonzaga looks like they could give some people trouble. San Diego State, while the strength of schedule isn't there, they're undefeated. You can't argue with it. They're um, blowing teams out, too. There's, there's a lot of uh, talent teams, but in terms of players, I know you've, you said you've done a couple mocks already. Who are you expecting to, uh, to see the ping pong balls bounce in their favor? You know, uh, this is a terrible draft, which is the last thing yeah. that some people in Chicago awesome. want to hear. Is that it, just, I mean, it, it, may be, it may be the worst draft we've seen this decade. There just aren't a lot of uh, difference makers. People are talking about Anthony Edwards, the shooting guard from Georgia, but he's just uh, you know, a volume scorer who doesn't seem to have a real good feel for the game. You know, he's got mm-hmm. some explosive athleticism. He's got good shooting range, but, you know, he's very erratic. He'll play spectacular one night and, and, and be terrible the next. So, you know, if, if he's the first pick in the draft, it's a pretty bad draft. People talk yeah. about LaMelo Ball, and I'm sorry, it's hard for me to get past that tape. I saw him in high school where he was shooting from half court and ignoring his teammates. I know they said that he, he played professionally over in Australia this year. And NBA scouts were excited about his potential, but he's painfully thin, um, you know, I just don't know if, if physically if he can hold up over the course of 82 games in the NBA. He does have some skills in terms of uh, being a good passer and, and, and he can shoot yeah. the ball. But, uh, you know, again, I wouldn't be excited about LaMelo Ball. I mean, it's just – and he's going to be a top-five pick. The kid from Memphis who only played three games and then got into an eligibility fight with the NCAA and said, I'm going to take my ball and go home, James Wiseman. Mm-hmm. 7-1, uh, kind of a shot blocker, rebounder type. Uh, doesn't really have a very, very, a very good offensive skill set. So those guys will probably be top five picks, and yet nobody's that excited about adding them to their team. I'll tell you one guy that really excites me, and I mean, I know it's against Rhode Island a couple nights ago, but you play the competition to get Obi Toppin, to me, yeah, is a guy yeah. who, I don't know if he's you know complete or fully fleshed out as a player, but I mean, above the rim ability, the guy can fly. He kind of uh, burst out of the national scene right at the start of the college year when he uh, was a dominant player for Dayton at the Maui Invitational. He showed mm-hmm. that he could make three-point shots. He could also score at the rim. He's uh, really expanded his shooting range, which is something he needs to do at 6'8", 6'9". He's maybe not uh, as explosive as some of the guys that are in the draft, but he's people, people love his versatility and his consistency. That's probably the hallmark for him as opposed to what we've seen with so many other guys in the college ranks. 
I think he'll be a top ten pick, and I think whoever gets him will be very happy. But I, you know, he's not going to be a, a franchise yeah. changer. One guy I kind of like too is Isaac Okoro from Auburn. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a Jimmy Butler type, six 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 seven, who can slash to the rim. Very good defensive player. He's got even better athleticism than Jimmy. I think he might be a guy that even though he's not a big scorer at Auburn because they have other guys who can do that, he may turn out to be the best guy on that team in terms of his NBA potential. So he's he's somebody to watch. You know, there's the guy from who also played overseas, RJ Hampton. Uh, who cut his season short because of injury. He was a guy that one of the guys decided to uh, go from high school to play professionally in Australia and, and just skip college. NBA scouts are very well aware of his game. He'll probably go in the top ten. There's a kid from Israel who's a small forward named Dino Avji. Uh, scouts compare him to you know, you know a, a poor man's Luka Doncic, very poor man's Luka Doncic, but you know, so you look around and there just aren't there aren't these names that you go, boy, I hope I can get one of these guys because he can turn my program around. You know, granted, somebody's going to emerge from this draft class and be a lot better than we thought, maybe be a you know perennial all star, but just based on what we've seen from their college performances and their international work, it does not look like a great draft. Now, I just got one more for you here. You're talking about this year's draft not being great. Obviously, last year's was billed as elite and is living up to that now that Zion's back healthy and looking as good as he has. Uh, John Morant's been great, too. So I, I kind of want to ask you, what can Zion do, if anything, to kind of catch John that rookie of the year race? Because I, I know it's a limited sample size, but he has been uh, really living up to that billing and kind of showing off his all-around game and freak athleticism early. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the writers and broadcasters are, are swayed by the whole Zion phenomenon and, and give him the award, even though he's played less than half the mm-hmm. season. If John Morant takes the Memphis Grizzlies team to the playoffs, and right now they're in the eighth position, I don't see how you could not give him the Rookie of the Year award, especially with mm-hmm. the spectacular highlights he turns on on a daily basis. And he's playing arguably the most important position on the court and point guard. You know, he's basically lifted that team to the, a position where they can contend for a playoff spot in a very strong conference. He's been spectacular. I I, got, I enjoyed watching him at Murray State last year. I thought he was fantastic, and I was hoping if the Bulls didn't get the first pick, they would get the second and get John Morant. And unfortunately, as we all know what happened, they drafted their comfortable seventh spot and, and ended up with Kobe White, who the jury is very much out, out on. But I, I think it's going to be difficult. I think the only way that, that Zion catches him is if he averages 30 points the rest of the way and, and somehow gets – New Orleans to go on this late run and pass Memphis and get that playoff spot. Otherwise, I think it'll probably go to Ja. All right, I know I said that was the last one, but I lied. I got one real quick one. Pitchers and catchers are reporting. I know you're a big Cubs guy. The, the offseason hasn't been great. As a Sox fan, we don't, we don't get these questions. We don't get these situations very often where we had the better offseason. Um, where are you on the, the, the Chris Bryant situation? You want them to hold on to him? You want them to see what they can get for him? Where are you in that and, and as a Cubs fan now as a whole with the uh, the no spending this offseason? Well, I've always been a big loyalty guy, and Chris Bryant was the National League MVP when the Cubs won the World Series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Forever, that's going to make him a, a special player in the hearts of Cubs fans. I think they should do whatever they can to try to work out a contract extension. What I don't know is how bad the feelings are between the organization and Chris mm-hmm. and agent Scott Boris. If that is an untenable situation where they've kind of made up their minds that they're going to leave when he becomes a free agent. That's something that I, I couldn't know. Um, you know, as a, as, a, as a fan, I would like to see them keep Chris Bryant. But if, from an organizational standpoint, they know he's not going to resign here, then the be- sooner the better in terms of trading him because you get more if, if the other team can get two years out of him as opposed to a year and a half or, or one if you wait till next next season. So I hope they keep him, but I understand the business of baseball, and if it's in the best interest of the organization to trade him, then that's what they got to do. All right, Theo Epstein definitely listens to the podcast. So, Theo, bring him back. All right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Everything under the sporting sun in the purview of Mark Chanowski. Mark, as always, we appreciate the time for jumping on here on the Moose and Runes podcast. You always bring your expertise and shed light on things that we are unable to. So we appreciate you, as always. Um, same time next year. Should we just should we just pencil it in right now? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully, we're talking about maybe like an eight or a seven seed at, at that juncture. Hey, Bulls, just five games out of the eight seed. Don't look now. There we uh, go. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, well, be on, on behalf of uh, of Matt, we thank you, Mark, as always, for being here on the podcast. Uh, you always um, bring light to things, and uh, hope you enjoy the second half here. Hope you enjoy All Star Weekend because we always enjoy you, man. 
and a belated happy birthday to Matt Rooney. Oh, there, there it is. You. There yeah, Mark, it is. Uh, Marky Mark wished it. Joe didn't, but thank you. Give that man his flowers. That. Give that man his flowers. <laughs> I texted you yesterday. You <laughs> did. To be fair, but to be fair, that was off a Tim Rooney tweet. I did yeah, you, you did remember. You saw the I tweet. I did see the tweet. The, the no, close-up of my face there. You're in my oh, eye calendar. You're in my eye calendar as a recurring birthday. Um, I, I would have seen that. it eventually, but I did see the TJR tweet first. Uh, yeah. We digress, as we always do here on the Moose and Moose podcast. But once again, thank you to Mark Chanowski for joining the pod. Thanks, guys. A lot of fun. So there you have it. Mark Chanowski, as always, fantastic on the Moose and Moose podcast. we got to send him something. There's got to be some sort of gift. We'll get him a gift card. Yeah, there's like, got to uh, be uh, some sort of retribution for putting up with us. Um, so... He, uh, he is always entertaining, always informative, and we appreciate him for being a reoccurring guest here on the Moose and Runes podcast. Matt, what, what really spur anything? We always come out of those interviews where something really spurns some thought in me, catches my ear. What, what caught your ear um, I mean, out of Mark's? For me, I, not that I trust the front office of the Bulls to put them in this spot, but the fact that he thinks Zach Levine is legitimately good enough to be the you know number two option in one of these you know NBA duos that we're kind of seeing take over the league now, um, that that's an encouraging start because I know before this year especially he was kind of just a volume score. This year he's taken a step, but I wasn't really sure what the the national the smart take on him is, and to hear him say that that if you know the Bulls mm-hmm. were to get a seasoned veteran you know star around him. That was that was encouraging for me. Yeah, I don't I don't know how much I'm on the same page as that. It just feels like they're so far off. It doesn't feel like one player can fix all that is wrong. And I believe I really do believe, and I think you could get from my line of questioning that I do feel that it's an institutional issue that goes far <laughs> above the players. I don't goes think far you're above Jimbo that, Boylan. Um, Call him Jimbo Boylan. <laughs> Jimbo Boylan. He's about to be Jimbo Boylan. He but, is Jimbo uh, Boylan. No, as we said, fantastic stuff from Mark Shanowski. Can't wait to have him on again. Um, he he keeps us in the good graces here, and he always uh, brings a little something extra to to the Moose and Runes podcast. But knowledge. Why don't we? Why don't we? Yeah, knowledge. That's something what that you don't always get here. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's impart some. Uh, I don't know. Let's impart some wisdom. If it's not knowledge here, let's do a little buy or sell. What do you say? Sure. All right. You want to hit me first? All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk pitchers and catchers reporting here because it, it's it's. It's not quite baseball season, but we have that first milestone off-season date. Um, I'm yep. not sure how much you're seeing it over there, but the Sox reported yesterday. Uh, they're talking to the media. They're excited. I wouldn't call them cocky, but they're, they're, they're confident. They, they believe in themselves headed into this year. I think James McCann said, you know, we're trying to win a World Series, which is probably the right mindset for any team going into spring training to have. Um, I'm going to ask you, buy or sell, Joe? It's playoffs or bust for a successful season for the White Sox this year. That, that is the right mindset to have for every single team, but there are varying levels of belief in that mm-hmm. thought. And I think with what the White Sox did this offseason – you can actually believe that inside that building. I mean, mm-hmm. they've put together a really strong lineup, one through nine. I am still worried about the rotation. We'll see if that rotation can be top end and exceed be healthy maybe. Enough, honestly, exceed yeah, stay healthy, exceed what maybe we expect of them because we know that's that's really the uh, the linchpin in mm-hmm. a World Series run is your rotation. So if they can outperform what's expected, then I think that White Sox can not only talk World Series, but can maybe talk pennant, can maybe talk World Series if Mm -hmm. you get hot. I believe it is a playoff or bust season. When you go out and you make those moves and you extend yourself financially, that is the exact goal. Get back to the playoffs. Um, So if we start out here and in three months we're looking at a team that's 15 games under 500, complete failure, okay? Like, there, there is expectation this year. And I know we've had the, the expectation conversation and kind of how much expectation can cripple a team with uh, the Bears being a perfect example mm-hmm. of that this season. But, yeah, there's expectation on the Chicago White Sox only to their own doing, only to their credit for what they put together this offseason. I totally buy that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% because they did go out. They added – I'm a little bit worried about the rotation as well because a lot of the people there – relying on, especially on the back end, are either inconsistent or not totally healthy right now. But they went out, they added two veterans that you know what you're going to get them. You're going to get from them. You're going to get quality starts from Gio Gio Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel just about every time out. Um, But on paper, you look at last year's division winner in the Twins, you look at the Indians who have lost some players and might even be trading Francisco Lindor at some time. The Sox are right there with them on paper. 
And I think the only way they don't compete for a division or win that division is if guys who were really good last year regress. If Lucas Giolito goes back to being not what he was two years ago, because I don't think that'll happen, but if he's not the ace that you hoped, if Yohan Moncada doesn't keep progressing, if Tim, not that Tim Anderson's going to hit 350 again, but if Tim Anderson goes back to being a 270 hitter, then you have problems and there's reasons to be worried. So, yeah, I, I think you have to go in with the mentality of it has to be a playoff or bust season, or, you know, if you win 92 games and you don't make it, obviously, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, there, there's different levels of success there. But, uh, yeah, it, it's you know we're we're I know the over under is like eighty three eighty four wins, but yeah, you're yeah. you're looking. This is we got to try and win ninety games this year. That kind of leads me to my next buy or sell. I'm going to sure. spring one on you here, Matt. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but the league offices presenting some uh, playoff reformatting. Ooh, so ninety like wins that. would no doubt get you in if fourteen teams are getting in. Have you seen the details of this? Because yeah, it's seven. A little it's seven a league, and then like the it's seven the a league uh, first seed gets a buy. And no then, wild card. First team gets a bye, and then your top two records get to uh, your top two records get to um, your pick, top two records. Pick their opponent, right? Yeah, get to pick their opponents. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, the I don't think the union backs that. I don't think no. we ever see it. But buy or sell just the ideas uh, set forth by by this new this new playoff approach. I don't mind expanding it to a team or two. Um, just mm-hmm. to make things a little bit more interesting, make the trade deadline a little bit more interesting, make a, a September baseball a little bit more interesting for more teams. Mm-hmm. I don't like the, oh, we get to call out our opponent thing. I just think it's a little bit gimmicky, and I'm not yeah, really it's a little No other sport does that or would really even consider that. And mm-hmm. I think it's baseball just trying to, I, I don't even know, maybe get the attention off the Astros scandal or something I at this the, point. I think, I, the biggest, I think the biggest issue with it is that it, further devalues regular season baseball. Um, like if, if 14 teams are getting in, you already have a fan base that's pretty unengaged until the postseason. What are you doing trying to like devalue regular still, season baseball? If I think if you're a Yankee makes, fan, if you're a Yankee fan or a Red Sox fan or one of these teams that you know it's going to be 85 plus wins rolling out of bed, why even sign up for regular season baseball? See, I don't think it devalues those teams because those teams are always going to have their fan bases. Those teams are always going to have their people coming out to the stadium. What, what I do think is it keeps the Arizona Diamondbacks fans more intrigued into this into you know September. The Chicago White Sox fans, if, in a year they're not doing well, the Tampa Bay, whoever. I think it opens things up to more teams, more fan bases still being in the race in September. And I think that actually magnifies regular season baseball because more teams feel like they have a chance. Whereas like a couple years ago, uh, I think it was right before the Sox started this rebuild, they were like five games out of the wild card, you know, right before the trade deadline, but there were seven teams to jump over and you knew it wasn't going to happen. But now if there's only three teams, four teams to jump over, you're going to see a more active trade deadline. You're going to see these games in, a, in September matter a little bit more because there's more of a chance to go get it. Uh, I just like... You know, I like it the way it is now. I'm I not, don't. Also, like, I don't hate I'm not the way it is now. If they get say we're wrong approach, it, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix if, it. I'm if wild card, if they and, want to make wild card a three game series, that'd be great. I'd, be, I'd love that because I'm the, I, I, best of three. I actually also think that gives the one seed or the teams that win their divisions even more of an advantage because obviously, if you play a three game series, you burn through your rotation a little bit quicker. Um, I, I would be all for that. And I, I'm not saying I want this to happen, but if it mm-hmm. did, I wouldn't be. If, if they do the call out your opponent thing, I would not like that. If they expand the playoffs to a couple more teams, I wouldn't be too opposed to that. But the one thing it seems that baseball has going for it right now that's really, really good, that they do really, really well, is postseason baseball. Postseason yeah. baseball ratings are good. The excitement's good. People are talking about it all the time. The, the drama the last few years has been second to none throughout sports. I don't know why that's what they're fixated on not even fixing changing at this point it's working don't fix it yeah i think that the biggest change and we've talked about this before needs to be from like how they're marketing the game and it's social media you have market 20 20 plus countries that you could be you know tapping into with you know how multinational the game is and Mm -hmm. how multinational the players are and I don't know. It's just, you know, it's rolling the ball down the hill, no pun intended, and uh, it's going to continue to be stagnant until they, you know, loosen up the reins on the on the social media policies. And, uh, you know, you could there could be a good, like there's like a, 
every night there's a new dunk that goes viral yeah. on social media um, and everyone's got it. Um, I, I want to see Mike Trout's plays highlighted. You know, mm-hmm. I just, it's just, we could go down that rabbit hole a million times, but uh, until it changes, there's not much to be said there. Matt, why don't you hit me with another buy or sell? All right. I had, uh, I have a fun one I'm going to get to in a second here, but I, I just had one that hit me that I wanted to ask you last night. Uh, happy birthday to me. I got to, to work the Blackhawks <laughs> getting shut out three, nothing in Vancouver mm-hmm. on a nine thirty start. Fantastic. Uh, before that, the, the Vancouver Canucks honored retired the the Sedin twins who never won a Stanley Cup. People forget oh, that. Oh, that's cute. Um, but what what irked me a little bit, I almost wanted to make this a grievance, was the Blackhawks on their helmets wore twenty two and thirty three decals. No, you can't um, do that. Yeah, I want to. I figured that was going to be your answer, but I want to ask you: buy or sell the Blackhawks wearing decals to honor two rivals that had their jerseys retired that night? I, you know, I sell it. The only reason I don't like completely this doesn't piss me off is because it was total domination so it's like oh this is cute let's just put, let's put maybe maybe, maybe that's what you're thinking it was more of like oh yeah. that, that was nice you guys got it's us like, the one time we were in eight seed and almost came yeah back. let's let's throw a bone here and throw those uh throw those decals on because they can never really get us so yeah, I just, I it doesn't kill me weird, it doesn't strange. kill me but it's definitely weird it's yeah definitely okay. weird. I, I sell on that. i'm glad you agree with me because i'm also selling uh, Matt, I got one more for you. We'd be remiss if we didn't uh, touch upon the Astros cheating scandal. Uh, on Thursday, the uh, owner spoke, some players spoke, they mm-hmm. opened up the locker room and completely just kind of denied not not culpability that they had you know committed these acts, but that they had any effect on the outcome of game, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, buy or sell this sort of PR mess that they've created for themselves. Buy or sell their, uh, buy or sell their apology. I guess would be the way to frame this question. I don't know. They, I didn't watch it, but I saw the quotes and stuff. The players kind of. It, it, it seems like the players most, feel bad. Yeah, it, it seems like most of the people have the problem with what, what Jim Crane, the owner, kind of said about how like, well, we did it, but it didn't affect the World Series at all. Um, and then, and then, twenty-two seconds later, said, "I didn't say it didn't affect the outcome." Yeah. I don't like. No, it didn't go well, but. I think a lot of people, a lot of times people overreact to what people say at press conferences. Like, this already happened. The punishment stuff happened. Like, I don't know what more you want them to say. Should Jim Crane have walked up to the podium and said, yeah, we should have lost that World Series. Here it is back. Like, no, I think he just went up and kind of tried to, to die it yeah. down and maybe didn't handle it great. But I, what, what does this change? What does him saying that change? The punishment's been handed down. Everything's been handed down. Now you want people saying... You have people saying after he said that, well, no, now they should have the World Series strip because he said that. It's like, no, it's it, it, this doesn't change anything. That's all. Like I think they that talk this and is, people are excited. They they open themselves up to the media, but that's it. I could be wrong here, but I think that people atop baseball right now see this as an opportunity, regardless of it being a black eye, but to stay in the um, in the conversation because baseball doesn't do that well. We're kind of going back to the same point that we were just making here. I think that. Baseball is trying to capitalize on a scandal the way that NFL has so effectively in the past and use them as storylines. And while it's not, it doesn't shed a positive light on your game, it sheds light on your game. And there are people talking about baseball outside of pitchers and catchers mm-hmm. on February 13th, which isn't always the case. I don't believe people care. I don't believe anyone cares about the Astros cheating scandal anymore. Maybe there are some Dodgers fans that are pissed off, some Yankees fans that are still pissed off because what could have been, but you're not going to get a World Series title out of it. I don't believe they care that much anymore. I believe that this is another example of how out of touch baseball is and how little people care about the game at this point. I mean, it's a shame because I love the game. But how many, outside of when you have to work, Matt, how many nine-inning ball games are you going to watch from your couch? Yeah, it's no, a bla- it's, it's a blast when we're in the stadium. Sometimes it, our work um, our work is hinging upon watching these games. But outside of that, the normal fan, uh, who's watching nine innings of baseball? Yeah, there, there's not a whole lot. I'm sitting down in front of the TV for, for four hours. And if, and this, if it's not your point team is, on, like you're my not point sitting is down that, watching. My yeah. point is this Astros cheating scandal doesn't get me any closer to doing that. No. You know? And the way that it's it's being handled, I just it, it's done, it's over, it happened. The suspensions happened. They should be doing everything they can to just let's start moving on. Move on. We're done with it here. Well, let's um, move on too. Do you have anything? I do. I wanted to ask you about airplane etiquette because I'm seeing that going around Twitter for some reason. I don't know how that became viral. 
But okay. the, the main issue for me, it seems people are talking about the seat recline versus not the seat recline. Well, this is how it started. There was a okay. video that went viral of a woman who took a video of a man behind her gently punching the seat because she had reclined it into his lap. Okay. He was in the last row, so he couldn't recline anywhere. No. She was in the second to last row, reclined into his lap, and apparently she claims that he punched the seat hard a few times before she started videotaping, and that's when he started just like lightly tapping it but annoyingly tapping the seat for i think the remainder of the flight so okay, that's, we'll, the, we'll that's the origin of all of this don't punch the seat but if you want to tap it i guess that is your right um yeah. i'm going to ask you buy or sell the seat recline um it's a, it's a, it's really a touchy one it, it's it's very, oh, very it's clearly very touchy with everybody no it's one. it's all it's scenario based now okay. if we're on a united and we're in economy and there's no space for anything like those thin little seats and your knees are against the mm-hmm. seat in front of you, I think it's very rude to recline, recline the seat. And I'm long enough to where if you recline into me, you're going to feel knees in your back. Mm-hmm. And that's not like me trying to like be a jerk, but I mean, I'm sub six feet, I'm 5'11", and those seats are on your knees. So you're going to feel some knees on your back. So if you want to recline, recline into my knees. Um, I, think that that's, I think that that's bad practice. Um, reclining in now if you're up front you got some space if you're on an american airlines flight or a delta flight where there's some more space yeah recline do your thing they don't recline that far anyway so i think it's a case-to-case basis it's a tough look reclining if you're in the second to last row into someone who can't recline at all um but you know there are ways to send a message other than uh other than you know punching. having a punching someone's seat what i like here here's a little bit of inside okay. baseball Ooh. for you guys Someone reclines into you that, you know, it, it seems like a, it seems like a unsavory play. When you get up to go to the washroom, or if you just get up to stretch your legs, you pull the top of that seat as hard yeah, as you oh, yeah. can. You pull that, you, you leverage That's yourself. That's the equivalency that of buzzing seat. the tower and exactly. chin music. And those seats have some springs. So you pull the seat, and as you get up, you let go, you whiplash them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're asleep. That's how, like you, that's that. how you send a message. And then you give them maybe a, oh, sorry. Just, a, just a nice, yeah, no, that's apologies and then uh and then you crop dust them on the way to the bathroom oh the natural <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not i'm not a seat recline guy i, I don't do it I, I think it doesn't really the, you're not like, gaining much the, yeah that's what it, the, the amount i gain causes much more discomfort to the person behind me yeah. i'm a big fan of paying it forward so i'm going to do that to you and hopes the person in front of me doesn't you know what you know, thinks the same way the amount of comfort i get from you know an inch of recline is a lot is nothing compared to the the chair into the knees like you were saying i'm very very anti recline the chair uh, I, that's just that's i was on a flight to dublin a couple years ago and my seat was broken and like wouldn't stop reclining and i i, I honestly like, i was kind of like almost like i was holding the armrest like holding myself up for as long as i could i felt so bad and like this was one where like you actually had a little bit of a leg room i just felt terrible though Matt Rooney just being the change he wants to see in the world, leading by example. That's what I do best. Practicing the golden rule. Yeah. We appreciate you, Matt. Uh, You got anything else for the peeps? I don't think so. What do you you got going on today? Uh, Nice little day. I mean, it's rainy out, but we got to run some errands. Snowing here. Got to get some stuff done. Got to throw a little extra air in the tires. Got a little... Got a little tire pressure gauge warning yesterday, Ooh, so can't, can't have that. Can't have that. You know, car's not use of a cold just yet. So no, it's, it's at California. You know, everybody California is adjusting. Customers. Everybody is adjusting, including, including the Jeep. But uh, with that, we say goodbye. We thank you for tuning in to this episode 141 of the Moose and Roots podcast. For Matt, Mark Shanowski, I'm Joe. Thank you for listening. As always, hit us on social subscribe download everything you can do to support the pod we appreciate it so we keep this thing going strong for matt joe and mark saying goodbye may god give you for every storm a rainbow for every tear a smile for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial i swear i've seen a lot of stuff in my life but that was awesome Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.